Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen. I want to focus on verse 18 this morning, where Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As I see it, there are essentially four different segments in this statement that Jesus makes in verse 18. One, he tells Peter, or Simon, you are Peter. Number two, he says, upon this rock. Thirdly, I will build my church. And finally, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All of these uh, segments are intertwined together. So they, they link together, they build on one another. It's hard to find meaning in, in one individual without referencing the others. I want to look at the first two this morning. You are Peter and upon this rock. And then we'll cover the next two the next time. Jesus says to Simon, who just answered this question, he says, you are Peter. Now, we all know him as Peter, so that's a very comfortable reading for us. We can read, you are Peter, doesn't, doesn't do anything weird to our brains or our understanding, because we all know him as Peter from, from the Gospels. But that's not his name. It wasn't his name up until that point. Up until that point, his name was Simon, and even after that point, his name is Simon. That's the name that his parents gave him. That's the name that mom and dad called him, was Simon. When Jesus says Barjona, he's talking about his heritage. That's his last name. We see that Jesus knows that his name is Simon and not Peter because Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And that's, that's his family name. But then Simon, he gives this brilliant, God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered answer that we spoke about last week. When Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Simon says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, that's only given to him by God. And so Jesus, he's, he's excited about that. He loves that answer. That's the answer he's looking for. And so he turns to Simon and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you didn't get that from flesh and blood. You didn't figure that out on your own. That came to you as a gift from the Father. Amen. It was given to you. And he, so Jesus answers him, Blessed are you, Simon, and you know what? You're Peter. And I tell you what, Simon, you're Peter. Now that doesn't, doesn't uh, do much in the English ear, because Peter's just Peter. But in the Hebrew, in the Greek actually, it, it's something different. Because the word that we translate Peter in the Greek is actually Petros. Petros means a rock, or actually rocky ground. Think about a, a rocky soil or a pebble on, the, on a rocky soil. 
little stones. And that's what Peter in Greek means. Petros, it's a rock. Not like a mountain or bedrock, but like a small stone or a pebble. There's something different about stones. There's a reason Jesus chose to call him Petros, which is a stone. Something different about stones that is somewhat unique in the natural world. They're, they're very solid. They're very, they, have, they have a firmness to them and a, and a, a kind of a, a foreverness to them. Most everything else will rot and decay, even as, as solid as it is, but a stone kind of has a, a forever kind of nature to it. And so he says, you are, you are rock, Peter. Now, here's what's interesting. We know that uh, from reading the, the Gospels and, and the Acts, that by nature, Simon, who was called Simon Peter, Simon was a brash uh, person. He was uh, uh, kind of all over the place with his attitudes. Um, he had an anger management issues. Um, he would run off at the mouth without it passing by his brain first. You know, I think many of us probably suffer from some of those conditions. And that's, so that's astonishing that Jesus would look at this man and, and say to him, you are Petros, especially in light of what he says next. Peter Ended up with his foot in his mouth a lot. You know, he made tendency, he had a tendency to make promises that he couldn't keep. He promised Jesus he would never deny him. And then what did he do? I'll never leave you, Lord. And then what did he do? One of those people, he jumped in with both feet and he didn't see it through to the end. And yet Jesus calls him rock. Doesn't sound much like a rock, does it? doesn't sound very solid or firm to me. In fact, it sounds pretty, pretty wishy-washy and unstable, but that was Peter's character. And yet, Jesus says, you are Petros. He's not, not Simon. He chose this. Peter wasn't his name. It was Simon. And Simon gave this, this brilliant, God-given answer to this question, who am I? And then Jesus says, you are rock. Jesus is excited about this. Why would he call this brash, impulsive person with anger management issues a rock? Why would he say that? Look at what Jesus says next. You are Peter, Petros, a rock. And then he says, and upon this rock. That is the second segment in verse 18. Upon this rock. You are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock. In Greek, that is Petra. So in Greek, they're very similar words. They sound very similar. So it's a play on words that Jesus is is doing here, but it's a significance to it. This means Petra is a different kind of rock. It's a, a bedrock. It's something solid, immovable, unshakable. It's not the same rock as Peter or Petros. It's not the same kind of rock. Something different. This one, Petra, upon this rock, this is solid, more significant. This is bigger, by a magnitude bigger. You can't dig down past the bedrock. When you dig, you, you can't go any deeper than that. The bedrock is the most fundamental foundation. It is the bottom. It doesn't get any deeper than bedrock, right? That's it. That's as far down as you can go, bedrock. So it's kind of a play on words. You are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. What is the bedrock? Well, certainly it's not Peter, right? 
<laughs> wishy-washy Peter. It's the truth. That's right. We talked about it last week. The truth that Peter spoke and, and that understanding, making that confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Doing that with that understanding, that made Simon something wishy-washy, made him something solid. It made him Petros. Now, a couple of things about that. Number one, I think that Jesus was super excited about what had just happened when Peter said, you are the Christ. It's like a moment of celebration for Jesus. Like when, you know, we're trying to teach our kids something and, and you see them start to get it. You who are educators, you know it when you're teaching your students and you see them, you see that light go off and they begin to understand you can almost see the wheels turning and you know they're getting it. You're getting it. I, I can see you getting it. When my little girls were little, they're still little. <laughs> when they were really little, when they were littler, uh, I used to get marveled at watching them learn. Particularly when they were, you know, infants coming into toddlers and uh, I'd see them just, you know, play with things and figure stuff out and it just... It just amazed me. They learn something new every day. I would marvel at that. And of course, you know, all along the way, we celebrated little successes that they would make, little things that they would learn, learn to say certain words the right way, learn to, to you know, to respond back. I, I remember we used to talk about how, how awesome it's going to be whenever we can have real conversations with them. And they would learn new words and new phrases, and we could engage more fully with them. And, oh, it's so exciting. It's like, yes, you're getting it, yes. I was so excited about that. And this is one of those moments, I think, for Jesus. We, we have this tendency to wrap this, this air of solemnity, somberness around Christ. And make no mistake, that, that's there, all right? There is a solemnity and a somberness to just to the very nature of who He is. God becoming man to die for our sins. That is a solemn, serious thing. But I don't think that He got where He got with people through solemnity and seriousness alone. He was a joy to be around. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord is joy, fullness, fullness of joy, right? And they were in the presence of that. He was a fun guy to be around. I think he was excited about what happened in Peter. And so he turns to Peter and he's like, yes, you get it. He sees this light comes on and you, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the Simon, the same guy who flies off at the handle. He's got anger management issues. He can't keep his promises. This guy, this guy, this guy gets it. And Jesus is like, whoa, if anything could surprise Jesus, I think this would have been it. If he could be surprised by anything, this would have surprised him. He would have heard that and just been astounded by it. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I can't believe you said that, but you did, and this is great. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Yes, you get it. And because you get it, because you have, you have, you have given voice to that, that truth that God has planted in you, you have become something a little bit more than shakeable Simon now. You've become Petros. You've been given a, an air and, 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 a, and, a, and a characteristic of unshakableness. You, Simon, shakeable Simon, are now Peter. You're a rock. Oh, that's so cool. Why? Just because you get it. You get who I am. Who I really am. And flesh and blood didn't do that for you. God gave it to you, and I celebrate that. Wow, how exciting that is. 
I think he was ecstatic. I don't think Jesus, I think Jesus was at a point he could barely contain himself. I think when Peter said that, Jesus turned and he looked at him. He put both hands on his shoulders. Yes, blessed are you with a great, great big grin on his face. Shook him up. I'm so happy. Especially when you consider what was coming next. And I'm going to leave that hanging out there because that's for next time. But something big's coming next. Something huge is coming next. Jesus is very ecstatic about this. Just like every angel in heaven rejoices when one of God's children gets it. When one person comes to the faith. That's why we have a shepherd who will leave the 99 to go after the one. Because all of heaven rejoices after that. And it is cause for great rejoicing. Jesus is ecstatic about this. Number two, Jesus tells us that this truth, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, it is not just not just. Not just a good truth, but it is bedrock truth. Amen. It is Petra. It is, it, is the, it is bedrock. You dig down, you get to the bedrock, that's where you stop. That's fundamental, foundational. It's the most fundamental truth in all of Scripture, in all of human history, in all of redemptive history. This is the fundamental truth. Jesus is Lord and King. Everything flows out of this truth. Everything points back to this truth. Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13.8. In the beginning was the word, John 1.1, and the word was made flesh, John 1.14. Before Abraham was, I am, John 8.58. All creation groans and waits for our redemption in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.22. Jesus delivers us from the wrath that is to come, 1 Thessalonians 22. And seven, Christ, the Son of the living God, is the foundation from the beginning to the end and forevermore. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, is that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, and then he names the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. There is no greater truth. You see, Peter wasn't a theologian, guys. He wasn't an educated man. He didn't spend his days pouring through, through books and commentaries and doing word studies. What he had was one fundamental, uh, ultimately important truth. And that was bedrock for everything else he would do in God's kingdom. Amen. It was bedrock for his sermon on the balcony in the book of Acts. It was the bedrock for his leadership of the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And... It was a bedrock when he messed up and he needed redemption in Jesus Christ and forgiveness. Amen. You remember after the crucifixion or when they were crucifying Jesus that he flat out denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. This wasn't a one-off kind of a in-the-moment kind of lapse. It wasn't where he just suddenly got scared and, and had a slip. He did it once and then he did it again and then he did it again. And so Peter, even though Jesus gave him that name, Rock, Peter was pretty shakable, wasn't he? Amen. Amen. Look at John 21. John 21, verse 15 through 17. There was one thing that, that wasn't very shakable, and that one thing was the bedrock of Peter. Even the shame of his great failure, this was still bedrock. 
In John's gospel, we learn that after the resurrection, the disciples, they were out on the lake fishing. You know, they just seen their Lord crucified. Not sure what to do about the mission or the church. And so they turned to what they did know, fishing. John tells us that Jesus was standing on the shore and he called to them. Interestingly enough, telling them the same thing he told them the first time he called them, cast your net on the other side. And when Peter realized who had called to him, this was Jesus standing on the shore. The Bible says he jumped, threw himself into the water, and he swam to the shore. While the other disciples wrestled with the fish to get them back to the shore, Peter swam. He was so excited to see it was the Lord, the Lord who he had failed. In verse 15, uh, they had had some breakfast. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said back, feed my lambs. And so Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said back, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Three times. He asked him three times. It's almost as if he asked him once for each time he denied Jesus. Each time Peter answered, Lord, you know I love you, except for the last time. The last time, Jesus, uh, uh, John tells us that, that Peter was grieved. And so he said, you know everything. Answered him dip differently. You know everything. You know that I love you. Peter knew that nothing could be hidden from Jesus. He knew that Jesus knew about his denial, even though Jesus wasn't there. He didn't witness it. Jesus told him he was going to do it, and then it happened, and Peter was grieved over it. He said, yes, Lord, I've, I've messed up. You know everything. I can't hide that from you, and I still love you. I just wonder if any of us find ourselves in that same boat. Is it, is it possible to be an imperfect Christian and still love the Lord? <sighs> Thank God, yes, it is. I messed up, and I still love you. This is Peter's redemption. Christ is standing there with open arms, and he's asking them, Okay, what now, Simon, son of John? Will you, will you still walk with me? What do you do after you've fallen so far? Will you, will you get up, and will you still walk with me? Will you do what I ask? Will you love others on my behalf? Will you feed my sheep? So often what defeats us in sin, not in sin, what defeats us after the sin is our own guilt. Our own selves. We will not trust in the forgiveness and character, the bedrock solid truth that Jesus is the Christ, who is the Messiah, which means He came to save and to forgive and to redeem. You don't trust in that. Instead, we crucify ourselves over and over and over again rather than washing our hands and being done with it. You know, David, when he, he prayed for his son that died, 
The son was sick. The son he had with Bathsheba. And God told him, your son's got to die. I cannot have that, that heir to the throne, my holy throne. This one has to die. But you're going to be saved. And so David grieved over his son. He prayed and he prayed, Lord, please don't make this happen. But what happened? The son died. And David got up when he heard his son was dead and he washed himself and he cleaned himself and he worshiped God. Amen. Amen. Great reminder of the sin he had committed. And then he gets up and he washes himself and he worships the Lord. Amen. See, so often we, get, we, we just don't have enough faith in the forgiveness that Christ has for us. That's not an excuse. It's not, a, it's not a permission thing for us to go and do whatever we want to do. Peter was grieved over what had happened. Amen. But so often we let our grief hold us down. We won't, we won't rejoice in, in the forgiveness and the love and the reconciliation and the redemption that the Lord has to offer us. Our own worst enemy is us. And so Jesus is asking him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And don't you know that every single time he said, Simon, son of John, that Peter was thinking, man, he didn't call me Peter. He didn't call me the rock. I liked it when he called me. He liked it so much that he changed his own name. John, who as we know from the text, was a very good friend. of. They were very good friends, John and Peter. He calls him Simon Peter. Peter, in his own epistle, he writes and introduces himself as Simon Peter. He took the rock as his last name. That nickname that Jesus had given him. Don't you know that every time Jesus said Simon, son of John, it just stung him? Because the gospel and the truth stings. And it'll, it'll cause us to see the error of our ways. It'll cause us to see who the Christ is. Don't you know? He's like, oh, I want to be called rock again. Don't you know that was going through his head? Because at the end of the day, Peter had to know that he wasn't the rock. Jesus is. Jesus is. I'm not the rock, but I do have one to stand on. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's sins were forgiven, and how do we know this? Because Jesus asked him repeatedly to take care of his sheep, to join him in tending his people. You, Simon Barjona, that's who you are without me. You're not the rock without me. You're just shaky Simon. You're not solid Peter. You cannot be Petros without the Petrus. You cannot be rock without the bedrock. Amen. Jesus is inviting Peter back into that relationship even after that blatant denial. Yes, because Jesus sees everything. He sees the sin and he also sees the sorrow. So he knows Peter is repentant. Because Christ is merciful without end. He is kind beyond measure. Just like his father. Just like your father. And even when we struggle, even when we, uh, everything around us seems to be lost, and Christ remains immovable. Amen. He is bedrock. His love never fails. His power never fades. He is steadfast in all of His ways. Amen. I don't think we preach about Jesus enough. Amen. Paul said, we don't, we don't preach about Jesus enough. 
we have this nebulous idea of who Christ is. Because he's been painted for us in a hundred different colors and a hundred different ways. The Bible has some specific things to say about who our Christ is, who our Lord and Savior is. And it does us well, just like the song says, to be reminded of this. He is. Thank you guys for singing that, by the way. I just I want you to know this morning that there are things that will come at you that will shake you to your core. And the more you take up your cross to follow Jesus, the more you will be exposed to things that shake you to your core. See, Peter would never have been exposed to the shame of that denial had he not been such a close follower of Jesus Christ. Had they not recognized him as a follower of Jesus. Aren't you one of his? He would never have been exposed to that denial had he not been so close to Christ. The closer you are to Christ, the more you will be exposed to things that will shake you to your core. Why is that? Because I am not the rock, but he is. Jesus had a lot of things to say. He told us we would have trouble in this world. You know, it may be a a cherished relationship that seems to explode, and you don't even know why. Isn't that weird how that happens? Like you've got somebody that you're in close contact with, a good friend of yours, and it's almost, even a family member, almost inexplicably you're at odds. And you you look back on it, you can't even, why, why are we even fighting? I don't know. What's this argument even about? And, and no one's talking. Just unexpectedly explodes. And now I feel lost because I feel lost because my friend is not my friend anymore. I'm shaken. Maybe you have physical affliction, financial difficulties, stresses and cares of the world. We're going to have trouble, folks. Amen. We're going to have trouble. In Matthew 7... When Jesus, he had just finished up his Sermon on the Mount, he said something astonishing. You all know this story, 724, Matthew 7, verse 24. He says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And so the rain fell and the floods came. Look at that. The rain did fall, the floods did come, the winds did blow, and they did beat that house. But it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. Sometimes you will see great troubles. Winds that are so strong they will level your house. But if, you, if your certainty is in Jesus Christ, you'll make it through to the other side. Now there might be some shingles that you have to replace. There might be some painting that you have to do. You might have to make some adjustments here and there. Because that's one thing that the wind and the rain And the storms have a good thing of doing is exposing vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And so that's why Paul said, I will rather more glorify in my afflictions. Because in my weakness, Christ is made strong. So we see things, we we can recognize weaknesses when the storm happens. We can shore those up with greater faith in Jesus Christ. In the end, even though you have to make some adjustments... Replace some shingles, maybe put some new windows in. In the end, the house is still standing because you built it on a solid foundation. Last week, I asked you to consider Jesus the Christ. Who is he to you really? You know, he asked two questions. Who, Who am I to others and who am I to you? And it's my sincere prayer 
that you all answer the same way that Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you may have different words for it. You may think He is Savior and Lord, or or He is Redeemer and Deliverer. He is my best friend and, and my Lord. Whatever, God and King. But that is the truth. That is foundational truth. He is And we have to build on that truth. If we anchor anywhere else, we will fail. Now, a few weeks ago, I wrapped up a series on money and possessions. And one of the the central themes of that series was Christian generosity. And I talked about generosity in terms of our, our giving, specifically giving of our substance, our money. And that is very important. I can't I cannot downplay the importance of that. Um, the Bible says so much about what we do with our money when it comes to the Christian life and Christian generosity. But all of that, of all the aspects of Christian generosity, um, I think that writing a check or giving financial help to someone is probably the easiest and most widely duplicated in the world outside the body of Christ. Something that should be so easy for us, yet some people have so many problems with it. You can look at the charitable giving statistics among non-Christians in the world, and they, they track that kind of stuff. And I'm, I mean, sure, the Christian giving you know, dwarfs that of non-Christian giving. We are by far the most generous people in history. But there are non-Christian givers, people who are wildly generous, generous with their money, who don't believe in Christ. And because of that, they put shame on some of us who are so tight-fisted with our money. And we do believe in Christ. I think that the reason why giving financially, giving our money, is the easiest part of Christian generosity is because in most cases, your responsibility when giving money to someone, it ends when the money passes from your hand into theirs. There doesn't seem to be a, doesn't tend to be a required follow-up commitment you know, you, you write the check and you let it go, and then that's the end of it. You give money to a homeless person, you feel like you've done your good deed, and you have. You've done a very good deed, and that's good. But the responsibility, the burden, tends to end there. Out of sight, out of mind, I've done my good deed. Not always, but in most cases. In the grand scheme of Christian generosity, giving money is the easiest part, I think. Yet it's the part that so many Christians have such a difficult time with. The more difficult gift, the really truly difficult one, is the giving of oneself. The giving of yourself to really invest, personally invest in someone. Now there's there's so much more to being a part of the body of Christ than showing up for weekly services. And there's so much more to being a part of the body of Christ than obediently and joyfully parting with some hard-earned cash. There's even a greater generosity that Christ is calling us to, one that requires us to be fully invested. To give of ourselves and not just of our pocketbooks, church. I say this because you can't get to that level of personal investment in others without becoming a rock, Petros. Standing on the bedrock, Petrus, of Christ. Because people will let you down. You know it. They will use you. They will use your kindness. They will abuse your kindness. They'll twist your words and your actions against you. 
as you try to win the world for Jesus Christ. Your motives are holy, but theirs are not. And if you are firmly planted, if you are not firmly planted, you will become hurt and you will become uh, discouraged and disappointed and burn out and ultimately you just give up. And I'm, I'm telling you this, church, that we cannot pursue the mission that we have been called to without a firm grasp of that bedrock truth. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to talk about our mission next time, but for now I feel it's important to re-emphasize, to remind ourselves of this, this bedrock, the basic and simple foundation on which all of this is built. Every good work, every minute of prayer, every minute of study, every sacrificial gift, every time you wrestle with sin, every time you overcome sin, every relationship that you build, all of that is, is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ. It must be or it won't stand. You can, you can go to self-help books. You can do 12-step programs to overcome um, undesirable behaviors, what the Christian would call sinful behaviors, but the world would just say that's undesirable. You can go through all that stuff, and none of that will stand if it's not founded upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. It won't last. It simply will not last. My wife loves to remind me when I'm feeling discouraged that we aren't promised that we will always see the fruit of our labors in Christ. Not immediately. You know, Scripture says one plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. Without that trust, without that hope, without the, the bedrock of Jesus Christ, He is my solid and firm foundation, I would have given up a long time ago. Amen. Amen. But because the gospel is enough, and because Jesus Christ is the gospel, and because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a firm and solid foundation, when we stand on that rock, Christ will build his church. And there's a, man, there's a dichotomy there. I can't wait to get to it with you next time. I will build my church, Matthew 16, Matthew 28, go and build my church. How does that even work? I'm going to do it. Go do it. Uh, we got to figure that out. There's some great stuff in here. And then the gates of hell won't prevail. What does that even mean? I can't wait to get to that. It's going to be fun. But before we, can do, before we can explore any of that, we have to come to the realization personally, there is a solid rock that I have to stand on. There is something that is true and unshakable that will never waver. He will never leave me or forsake me. Doesn't matter where I am, what I've done. I can always rely on Him. We need to give ourselves permission to trust in His goodness. Amen? Amen. I love you. Let me pray for you. Father God, I love you. You are good and righteous. And I just I pray that, that we see you as, as solid, that we see you as bedrock like Peter did. That you are Christ, the Son of the living God, holy. And no matter what, Father, we can turn to you. We can stand on that truth. Even when we've gone astray, Lord, we can stand on that truth to bring us back. Father, bless us and keep us safe and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Bless you all. May the Lord keep you.